0: Welcome listeners to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. Come on, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody ready to everybody ready to send their kids back to school? Everybody ready for that? Everybody had a good summer break. Come on, have fun all summer. It's good to be in the house of God with you this morning, and there's a lot going on, so I'd love you to get involved and plug in. You heard about connect groups. We do have a, a training coming up you heard about. Listen, you don't have to lead on your own. We got people that can equip you, train you, walk with you, help you. I th- think connect groups are so important because one of our values is find family. And let me just say this. If you don't ever get into a connect group, then what'll happen is you'll turn Sunday morning into the place that you come looking for yourself to get everything you need on, for, for you. And so, But when you find connect, and community and family and that out in the community with those Christian believers and people that are supporting you. then you come and now Sunday morning isn't just about you, it becomes about somebody else that you can help get along and become part of the family of God. And so it just it shifts really the paradigm and perspective of what church is about. A connect group is it's about like, okay, this isn't just for me on Sunday. It's powerful for all of us, but God's fulfilling me out there so I can come and reach people in here. And so I'd encourage you to do that. I'm in one. I'm one and one on Friday mornings. I say it often around here. Um, I, I smoke what I'm selling. Come on, we, we, we smoke what we're selling around here. And so I would encourage you. Um, I'm, I'm in a group. It's changed my life. It's helped my life. And uh, I wouldn't be who I am without that. So I can't say enough about just taking that risk or that step of faith to do that. And then come on, man. Can we fill this room up with men on, on the 27th when Coach Barnes is here? Let's make, let's, let's come. Listen. If you don't usually wear orange, wear orange that night. It's going to be a good night. And uh, we've got barbecue uh, brisket that our own uh, Nick Papillon's making. And then we have... Uh, that's going to be good. I don't know if y'all know about that brisket. but And then we've got a bunch of different games and fun. And, and Coach Rick is speaking to us. And so it's going to be a great night. It's 20 bucks. Uh, if you can't afford that, man, see me. I'll pay for you. So let's just fill this room up with some guys. Great way to witness and bring some men that maybe wouldn't come to church, but would come listen to Coach Barnes. And uh, he's going to bring the word. He's a man of faith. And so I'd love you to get... Uh, plugged into that. Uh, let's jump into the word today. I'm going to be in the Old Testament into Second Kings, and um, we're in a series called Devoted. If you're new to our community, we do things called series. It's a uh, you know four and five week series around a scripture or a theme or a thought. Uh, We meet around Jesus, and so I'm going to talk about the Bible today. We open the Bible every week, and uh, I read the scriptures to you every week. Uh, I don't have a lot of self-help stuff. I got scriptures. I got Bible, and so I want to give you the Word of God, and um, we are in a series called Devoted. It comes from 2 Corinthians 16, 15, where Paul is recounting a family of Stephanus, and he says, I want you to, to follow men like this and families like this, how they've addicted themselves or dedicated themselves or devoted themselves to the service of the saints, I said it last week. We talked about being addicted or devoted to God's presence. Many of you hear the word addiction and you think that's a negative term. Let me just say this. You were created for addiction. Uh, you are you made uh, and you are built for addiction. The thing is, you say, well, I'm not going to be addicted. Yes, you're going to be addicted to something. You're going to fill and devote your heart to something. And, and many people t- they will say, well, you know, there's this little spot in your heart that's built for God. No, there's not. There's an infinite abyss in your life that can only be filled by an infinite God. And so if you're trying to fill it with all the things we've all tried to fill that abyss with, it's an endless abyss that can only be satisfied by a God that's infinite. And so you're going to addict yourself to something. You're going to fill up on something. And so I just want to encourage us in this season that we're going to addict ourselves. We're going to devote ourselves to God, God's word, God's spirit, being obedient to who he is. And last week we talked about starting with his presence. I think that's the very first and foremost place we need to start. This week I'm going to talk about a little story it's a strange story about a king named Ahaz. He wasn't a good king. He actually didn't follow in the ways of his fathers, David and Solomon. He was a wicked king and God rebukes him. But I want to, there's an interesting thing that he's devoted to. And I want to talk about that devotion today. It says this in 16 uh, verse one, it says in the 17th year of uh, Pekah, son of Ram- Ramalia, Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah began to reign. He's 20 years old, young king, inexperienced 20. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 16 years, unlike his father, David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire on an altar, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations. The Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Can I tell you that all the child sacrifice that's still happening today isn't anything new in Satan's plan? However, however, we're sacrificing children in our society Whatever you want to believe or not believe, the reality is it's how Satan operates. Unlike David, his father, he sacrificed his son in the fire, engaging in detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. He finds himself in a war between two kings. He's in a hard place. He's been holding off these two kings and he's needing help now. So he reaches out to the king of Assyria. He says in in seven, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser. I don't know if I said that right, but maybe. King of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel. Two kings are fighting him who were attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria complied by attacking Damascus and capturing it. He deported its inhabitants to Kerr and to put Rezan to death. Then, verse 10, then, interesting moment, King Ahaz went to Damascus. He's going to find the king. He's going to, to search this man out. Went to Damascus to meet the king of Assyria. He saw an altar in Damascus and sent to Uriah the priest a sketch of the altar with detailed plans for its construction. So Uriah the priest built an altar in accordance with all the plans that King Ahaz had sent to Damascus and finished it before King Ahaz returned. When the king came back from Damascus, he saw the altar, approached it and presented offerings on it. He offered up burn offerings and grain offerings, poured out drink offerings, splashed the blood of his fellowship offerings against it. Verse 14, as for the bronze altar, this is the mosaic altar. This is a 270 year old altar that Moses got from God in the tabernacle of heaven. He saw a picture of it from heaven. God gave him this design for the bronze altar that stood before the Lord. He brought it from the front of the temple from between the new altar and the Lord and the temple of the Lord and put it in the north side of the new altar so he took god 's altar and moved it to a closet put in a new flashy altar that he had drawn a sketch of when he went to Damascus and met the king of Assyria and he put this altar. And then he ordered King Uriah to make sacrifices on it. Verse 17. King Ahaz cut off the sides panels of that altar, removed the basins from it, from the movable stands, He removed the sea from the bronze bulls and supported it and set a stone at its base. He took away the Sabbath canopy that had been built on the temple and removed the royal entryway outside the temple in deference or in fear to the king of Assyria. As for the other events of the king of, of Ahaz, his reign And what he did, are they not written in the annals of the kings of Judah? So basically, all we know about this man is his altars. There's a story that all all we find out about this man is the altar that he built and the altar that he removed. We know about his altars. Here's my title for today. uh, Satan, altars, and airplane seats. Satan, altars, and airplane seats. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, thank you uh, for today. Thank you for transformation Lord, it's not a catchy name of a church. It's not a cliche. It's really what you want to do in our life. We don't come in here to just hear good words. We come to be changed. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you change us. We can't follow enough rules. We can't can't do good enough. We can't be good enough. You change us. You already did all the heavy lifting at the cross. You work in us, Holy Spirit, today, and make us more like Jesus by your word. In Jesus' matchless name, everyone said. Amen. Satan altars and airplane seats. Um, I'm going to save airplane seats for the end, but Satan and altars. I was a youth pastor, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina for several, um, months, <laughs> uh, six months to be exact. And I call it a transition of grace. They fired me after six months. Come on somebody. Uh, <laughs> And um, it, was an, it was an amazing six months of my life. It was a church of about 2,500 people. They'd run about four or five services a weekend. We had about 200 youth in the, in, the, in the high school and middle school. And so I had the privilege of leading that. And as I began to lead that, revival began to break out. And these kids began to get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues and having visions and praying for each other. And the power of God began to move uh, on his own how he does. And I had parents getting mad that their kids were no longer drinking on Friday nights, but they were praying in tongues in their bedrooms on Friday nights. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we do things with the power of God, but we're, we'd rather have our kids drinking and partying and being cultural than like praying in something we don't understand, right? So God began to move. Kids began to come up to the altars and repent on Wednesday nights of sin and addiction and laying drugs down and, and forgiving each other. And parents would sit in the back and got mad because they were like, you know, you can't have the kids saying out loud what the sins and addictions they were involved in because it'll give other kids ideas of what they should do. I was like, that doesn't sound like what's happening here. I don't think we're here for ideas. I think we're here. I think We're here to, to see God do some things in our life. So they got upset and and, and they began to transition me uh, through the conversations and whatnot. And I knew it was happening. My wife and I were in a tough spot. It was right before we came here. So I call it a transition of grace. But I was in a service a lot like this, sitting on this side of the auditorium, 700 people in the room. I'm about three seats back. All this is going on. It's behind the scenes. The leadership's meeting with me. We're in turmoil. I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life and what, what they're going to do. I don't know I'm going to be fired yet. And I don't just don't, I don't know. And so I'm sitting and we're in worship. This is not a church like ours where the altars are open each week to come and pray. You can get on your knees. There's prayer teams. It's not like that. They don't have communion. There's none of that. We're in worship. And I hear the Holy spirit say, I want you to go down and get on your knees at the altar, son. And I was like, "Why?" I, I mean, I, I, I could do that. But I was like, Lord, I start bargaining. Come on, anybody. Y'all, y'all know y'all bargain every week when we open up this ministry time and altar. And, and and Satan begins to speak to me. He's like, you can't go down there and get on your knees in front of all those people. You're the youth pastor. You can't go down there and get, you lead 200 kids. What are they gonna, they're gonna think that you're, they're gonna think that you're perverted or something if you go down there. You know how the devil does? They're going to think that you're cheating on your wife. They're going to think, they're going to think that, you, that you're stuck in pornography. They're going to think that you're, you know, they're going to think, just the devil just starts saying, you can't go down. You're the leader. You're the pastor. You can't go get on your knees down there. Everybody's going to think you're in sin of some kind. They're going to think, and then, another, then it started kicking in. If you go down there, they're going to think you, you, you know you're wrong. You know, because we're in a turmoil and we're in a little bit of a battle with the stuff and where we're headed. And the devil's like, they're going to think that's your fault. And I'm like, I don't know whose fault it is. God, i just trying to live. Like, oh. Holy Spirit's like, I told you go down there to the altar. I'm speaking to you, not Satan. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. Go get on your knees. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Let me do business with you at the altar. And and I just I see this young man, this 20 year old king who's dedicated to the wrong altar. And I want us to be devoted to the right altar. All through scriptures and all through the Bible, Satan has a battle of altars. Altars are just places of commitment, places we bring our desires, our dreams, our goals, our fears, our worries, our transitions. They're things where we bring our life and we put it before God. Satan, all through the scriptures, has tried to tear down godly altars and get us or get people to exalt demonic, satanic altars. Or cultural altars, there's, there's this battle for altars, and obviously in the New Testament, Jesus went to the cross, and that was an altar Hebrews talks about. It's not a place of spectation, it's a place of death, that we get to go to the cross and die. We get to come to that altar and say, not my life, but your life, oh God, you gave that altar for me. 400 places in the scriptures talk about altars. An altar is just a place where God would encounter his people. It's a divine exchange, a divine spiritual exchange. And and, and God would say, when I have these big moments with you, I want you to set up a memorial or or a marker as an altar and remember that. I can go through altars in my life. Many of you can. I remember when I got saved, There was a thousand people in the room. They all disappeared. I walked an aisle and got on my knees at an altar and gave my life to Christ. I remember right after that, I couldn't get free from certain friends. I was still drinking and hanging around certain friends. I couldn't get myself separated I didn't I have the power to do that. I remember making my living room in a little tiny apartment. I lived in an altar and I got on my knees and I said, God, I love these people, but I can't keep being around them. I'm not strong enough. I need you to give me the strength to separate myself from these ungodly influences. And I've since then rekindled some of those relationships, but I wasn't strong enough then when I just got saved. So I made an altar and God separated me from some of those people. I uh, didn't know my wife yet, and I'd gotten saved, and I didn't know we were going to be married yet, and I was dating the wrong girl. Come on, somebody. You need to make an altar. <laughs> I was dating the wrong girl, and I, and I knew it in my heart, and I was serving God now, and I was trying to figure out life, and I went, to, I went to Cracker Barrel, and I sat in a little two-seat table at Cracker Barrel with a little weird barn saw hanging over my head, and I made that place an altar. And I looked at my college pastor, Chris Edwards, I'll never forget it. And I told him about the situation and I'd come into church and my wife worked at the church, but I didn't really know her that way. I didn't have, we weren't you know, dating or anything. And I looked at Chris, I said, man, here's my situation with this girl. She lives in Indianapolis. This is what's going on. And he looked at me and he said, you know what to do. I said, what should I do? He said, you know exactly what to do. And I made that Cracker Barrel chair chair an altar and we began to pray and he asked God to give me power to separate my ways and to get to what my destiny was. And God brought me to my wife and my destiny at that altar moment. Altars are places of exchange I remember the altar on the knees in my living room in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I was trying to come here and I didn't know if I was where I was headed. And I got on my knees and I was in the book of Chronicles and I heard the Holy Spirit through the scripture say, arise and build. I read that verse. I stood up and God said, I'm taking your family to Knoxville to build a church. Uh, There's these divine moments of altars and Satan wants to tear those altars down or, or trade altars in our life. They're places of influence. Write this down. Our life is a reflection of our altars. Every altar that you ever made, good or bad, your life is a reflection of that. Altar just means this. When you think about Christianity, we're like, oh, you know, Christianity is just self-help. And we're gonna go to church and we're gonna feel good all the time. And it's just gonna work out. And I'm just gonna, it's all gonna be great. That's what we think about Christianity. The reality is altar means slaughter in the Hebrew. In the Greek, it means sacrifice. Why do you think you get married at an altar? Slaughter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Somebody first heard, us, I was like, shh, don't say that. It goes both ways, right? You die. It's a sacrifice. Marriage. It's a sacrifice. It's a place of commitment. Romans 12, one through two. Here's Christianity right here. The name of our church comes from this. It says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, by the mercies of God. Listen to that. So Paul starts out by the mercies of God. If you got to hear me today, I got to lay this foundation of God's mercy before I get into what I'm going to talk about today. You have to understand all this is by God's mercy. All this is by a revelation of how gracious and merciful God is. That you, by mercy, by your understanding and revelation of God's mercy, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's on an altar. Problem is we're alive, so we like to slide off of it a lot of times. The fire, the heat, the sacrifice, we don't love that. He says, Christianity, present your lives by the mercy of God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. Look at the progression here. The the very prerequisite to transformation in your life is understanding the mercies of God and being willing in that revelation to throw yourself on the altar of God. going consume me, burn up me, destroy me and my ways and let me have you and change me to what you're like. But you'll never throw yourself on the mercy seat of God if you don't understand his mercy. You'll never approach the altar of God and put your life at his disposal if you don't really know how merciful and how gracious he is. Come on, I took all my life and all of its wretchedness and threw it up on the altar of God. And said, God, I need you to take my life. You died for me, I'm coming to this altar. You and I need to have the right altars in our life. The Bible talks about praise can be an altar. When we worship in here, that's an altar. Praise, the Bible says it's a sacrifice of praise. That's an altar moment. Uh, the Bible talks about worship. Do you know worship? It comes from two words, worth-ship, worship, worth-ship. Literally, an altar is just you becoming the vessel to carry worth and value to God. When you worship in here, you're a vessel of value and worth to God. You're actually giving him the value that he's worthy of and that he's worth. And, and you say, God, here's all my worth and all this value. I'm gonna actually be the vessel to carry it back to you. That's an altar. The story of this king, he's 20 years old. He's being defeated. He asks for help. He goes to the king of Assyria. The king gets help, comes down, defeats these kings. This king goes to pay homage to him and meet him in Damascus. It makes sense. Young 20-year-old king. not sure what he wanted to learn from the guy, but probably wanted to figure out how he ran his kingdom. Probably wanted to say thank you for defeating these kings. He probably wanted to look at his army. Probably wanted to figure out as a young 20-year-old man how to be a better king, how to be a better leader. I don't know the conversation, but he was going to find this king in Damascus. The Bible records something interesting. When he goes there, he doesn't ask about the armies. He doesn't ask about the weapons. He doesn't ask about the training. He doesn't ask about boot camp. He doesn't ask about how everybody got to where they were. He doesn't ask about the systems and the processes. He didn't ask about how he organized his troops. It says that his eye got caught by this altar. And as he's going to meet this king, he catches this new flashy altar. And the Bible says he actually takes out a sketch pad and begins to draw it. And then he takes that sketch and sends it to Uriah the priest in Judah and tells that priest to build it exactly like he saw it. And now he comes back to Judah and he takes the old altar, the 270-year-old altar of God, removes it to a closet and puts in this new flashy altar and then begins to break the old altar apart into pieces. God calls it abomination. If you know the story, which you just heard, he ends up actually sacrificing his own child on this altar that he sketched out. He actually ends up killing his children and his family on this altar. This is all we know about this man are the altars that influenced his life. The thing that held it together for him was this altar. Altars are a place of commitment. It's just all it is. Have you ever heard someone say they sacrifice their marriage on the on the altar of success? They sacrifice their health on the altar of business or wealth. there's just, there's these altars that we make commitments to. And I I want us to understand that we have to have God's altar. What, What is that really? All that is today is our heart. It's, it's us. So you bring the altars here. You bring your life. God's inside of you. You bring your life to God. And I want to give you three truths about altars. Number one, altars can lose their influence. Altars can lose their influence. It's been 270 years, this king comes back and he does not follow the influence of his fathers. The altar's influenced his father David, his father Solomon, but now he distanced himself and he doesn't have anything to do with it. This altar's been changed. Listen, the only change to God's altar in 270 years, there's been one change. This guy takes it, removes it, puts it in a back closet. The only time it's been changed was in Solomon's reign. Solomon changed one little thing about it. You know what Solomon did? He made the mercy seat bigger. Come on. Think about it. The mercy seat. You and I need a bigger revelation of God's mercy seat in church and in our world and our relationships so that we actually will be willing to present ourselves. God, I know you're not gonna consume me. I know you're not gonna judge me. I know you love me. I'm presenting this, all of this, me, all of it, on the mercy seat of God. Solomon expanded the mercy seat. And, and, and this man loses the influence of this altar and doesn't follow it how his fathers did. Cain and Abel lost the influence of the altar. Think about it. Cain and Abel, God said, I want you to sacrifice on an altar. God accepts one sacrifice. He doesn't accept the other. Cain gets angry. And now he exchanges the altar of sacrifice for revenge, bitterness, anger, and murder. There's there's so many times when the altar of God loses influence in our life, we begin to exchange it for resentment, anger, bitterness, rage, whatever it might be, and, and, and the influence, maybe you, you feel yourself today like not close to God or I'm not close, then you're a little bit distant from the altar, it's lost a little influence, maybe, maybe you feel close to God. You've probably gotten close to different altars with God. Maybe you're in this room every week and we open up this area and I'm like, Hey, this altar is open. You can get on your knees. And some of you are in a a war to come down, but with, with the enemy, like he did me, he's talking to you going, what are they going to think? Are they going to think you're this? Are they going to think you're wrong? Are they going to think you have, and you, you just, it's the enemy. And, and, and we have to allow the influence of the altar to stay in our life. Ahaz doesn't only just lose the influence of God's altar. Listen, he he removes God's altar to a back room. Usually when the altar of God starts losing influence in your life, you actually begin to remove it from your life and get a little bit more distant from it. Uh, We say things like this. If we put in new altars, you put in, I put in cultural altars all the time. We say say things like, you know, um, it's just that Bible is just so old fashioned. cultural altar. Like, do I really have to stay pure before marriage and not have sex? I mean, everybody's doing it. Cultural altar. Oh, they're really good people. You know, they don't mean any harm. They're good. They're not hurting anybody. Let me ask you the question. I heard one preacher say this. What if they're hurting God? We never ask if God's heart's hurt. What if we're grieving the Holy Spirit? What if that lifestyle is grieving the Holy Spirit? And then, and then they say, oh, they're just good people. We're just, they're just good. Can I just say something to you? You don't have the right or the privilege or the responsibility to figure out what's good. You don't, like I don't. Like the only one that can say what's good is the one that's altogether good named Jesus, named God. He's the only one that can define good. No one, None of us can define good. And cultures tried to put a new altar in that we define, oh, it's just good. Everybody's fine. It's good. No, 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 no. Satan did the same thing to Eve. Satan tried to convince Eve that she could find good outside of what God said was good. Satan's still trying to trick the church. I'm going to come at the church today a little bit because we're letting these altars influence our thinking and theology. And we've adopted cultural altars. And we're pushing back the actual altar that God says we're supposed to have in our life. The altar is so important that what it means is it's God your way, not my way. Again, I'm not there's no judgment. We all have certain things in our life that we need to put at God's feet. Matthew 23, 18 through 19 says this, and whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. This was the Pharisees Jesus was correcting. They were all about money and the gift. They were all like, look at the gift. Look at the gift. And Jesus says, fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and all things on it. What Jesus is saying is this, all of your giftedness and all of your talent and all of your your prestige and every gift that you carry and your money, all of you is worth nothing. And brings nothing to your environments if it's not placed at the altar of God. If it's not given and devoted to God. What you're doing is saying, God, these are your gifts and your strengths and your talents and your giftings. And my ability comes from you. I'm giving it all back to you at this altar so you could use me and would use me how you see fit, oh God. i got to be committed to an altar of God in my life. Not just my way, not just my glory, but God. Number one, don't let altars lose their influence. Number two, don't alter the altar. We're we're in a world right now that's trying to alter the altar. He didn't just stop by removing the altar. He actually began to break it apart. He actually began to tear its sides off and the foundations off. And I'm going to get into some of what he did. And he he alters the altar. The altar is supposed to alter him. But he began to alter the altar. This is what he does. He says, I'm going to take this new altar. I'm going to make sacrifices on it. I'm going to make blood offerings. I'm going to make my grain offerings. I'm going to do all this on this altar. And I'm going to take the bronze altar. I'm going to move it back here. Moses' altar, and God's word, God's way. I'm going to move it back here. I'm going to make all my sacrifices here, but I'm going to go over here and ask for direction from God here. What he's saying is, I, I, want, to, I want to worship in my way, but still ask for God's wisdom and blessing." I'm going to make a God in my image here, priest. It's going to be fine. I'm going to make a God in my image here. And I'm going to still ask for Jesus to bless it at this other bronze place back here in the closet. That's where we are. That's where culture is. That we're going to do it our way that we think is right and what they're feeding us. And then we're going to go back and ask God to bless it. Like at the end of the game, we're going to do a little cross and say, thank you, Jesus. You know, that's not real. And I don't want God's wisdom without God's way. I want God's way and God's wisdom. I don't wanna live that way. And I, I'll do whatever it takes to say, okay, God, this is your way. Ahaz, he begins to do some things. He removes the foundation. We're removing the foundation of God's word in our, from our world, from our, even from the church. I, I was in, a, um, I, I saw an article the other day. This was scary. Someone asked AI to write a Bible chapter on transgenderism uh, according to Paul and the gospel. I read the article. I read it. It scared me. It sounded like Paul. It sounded like the Bible. It sounded like Scripture. It was so twisted, and it was so biblical, and it talked about finding the real you and being free from the inside, and it was mixed with, like, it was satanic. And I'm like, oh, God, we're taking, we're removing the foundation. We're taking in these cultural altars and acting like they're okay in Christianity. He removes the sea, there's an 11,000-gallon pool of water that this altar, bronze altar sat in the middle of. You might not know that, but it was surrounded. It was immersed in the sea. It was a picture of the Red Sea. So when God's people came to sacrifice, they were reminded that God set them free, made them free, made them a people through that water and delivered them. And then that, that, that sacrifice was immersed in the water, which was word and spirit. It's a symbol that when we come to the altar, that everything about our life should be immersed in spirit and word. Everything about our life should be about the word and the spirit of God. He removed that. He, re- he, put, he replaced the foundation with stone. We, we have a culture that's having hearts of stone. There's a lot of heart of stone and in the house of God, even when it comes to God's word and breaking up that stone and repenting and loving and forgiving. And I'm, th- I'm still talking about God's mercy. I'm not talking, it's not, this isn't judgmental. This is the love and the mercy of God. There's no judgment. Listen, I'm gonna get into some thoughts here in a minute. There's no judgment in this room. We've exchanged these altars. He removes the bulls. There's 12 bulls. It symbolizes unity. We are strong when we're unified. Satan wants to disunify us as believers. He removed the, the Sabbath canopy. There's a Sabbath canopy. It was a, it was a place of protection where worshipers could come in and be protected from the elements on the Sabbath. Can I tell you, this is the Sabbath canopy. This is not church. This is the Sabbath canopy. This is a place we come in on the Sabbath and, and we have our corporate altar that strengthens our individual altars and influences those individual altars. And we're up under the protection. Two can chase a thousand. We are under the protection of a canopy that we have power and influence and strength in the name of Jesus. We have to have this. We're in a, in a society where it's okay to do whatever you want sexually sexually. There's confusion sexually. I I understand it. Listen, there's probably some of you in this room, people in every service that have dealt with same-sex attractions or sexual identity. They don't understand. There's no judgment. There's no judgment. God loves you, and I love you, and we love you. You're welcome. Here's the thing, though. Stop taking a cultural altar and replacing it for God's altar. Stop lowering. Their standard has already been set. The bar has already been set. God's word has already been set, and we keep lowering it to some other altar, and we can't do that. There's mercy, there's love, but there's truth and there's righteousness and that altar has to reign supreme in the heart of the believer, especially. I had some people get offended several months ago when the Roe v. Wade thing was overturned. I don't preach about this stuff a lot, but I I said something about I'm glad for that and protection of life. And this couple, I understood it. They'd gone through something. They came to me, I met them. They said, you know, we lost a baby. We had to have an abortion. And that day when you said that, we were gonna walk out because we were so hurt and we didn't know what to do. And I, I said, well, tell me your story. And he said, we had a baby and, and, and it was medical complications and we were gonna have to r- remove the baby or my wife was gonna die or the baby. I said, I'm so sorry. That's, I said, that's not abortion. He said, yeah, in the state of Tennessee, that's abortion. I said, what do you mean? He goes, we went to UT hospital to, to have the procedure done. And since the baby had a heartbeat, they classified it as an abortion. And so they wouldn't allow us to do it here. So we had to go to Chattanooga to an abortion clinic and have the have the abortion at the clinic he Goes, we were weeping. We were devastated. He goes, we walked into that clinic and it was like a Friday night and everybody was just going about their business and celebrating. And it was just normal. Go, go, just business as usual. And we were grieved. I said, "Exactly." I said, when I'm talking about celebrating life, I'm not talking about a scenario that's deadly or deathly or these some small instances that take place that, yes, are real. And uh, God forbid you not have the medical services you need. But I'm talking about what you saw in that clinic where people are just making it normal as a cultural altar that it's okay not to protect the womb. And again, somebody first service, we have we have a great ministry here. Maybe somebody some of you have gone through that. We have a great ministry that's deeper wells and they counsel and they love and they give hope. I'm not judging anybody in this room. There is love in this room. There is hope. If you've been through something like that, God loves you and restores you and heals you. But when we think about the cultural altar of of these things that are being pushed down the church's throat. And the misunderstanding of what the enemy's done to twist our understanding of all of it. Think about John the Baptist and Jesus. They're in the same womb. Not the same one Jesus is in Mary's womb. John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's womb. Think about this. Elizabeth comes in the presence of Jesus in, in Mary's womb. Jesus is there. Two fetuses. Jesus comes amongst John the Baptist. The Bible says John the Baptist, a fetus, leaps for joy inside of Elizabeth. And then is filled with the Holy Spirit. You're telling me if God fills a fetus with the Holy Spirit, that that's not important? I just... Please don't hear judgment or anger, anything from my, i pray to God. I ask, I ask every, don't, you got to hear my heart. There's mercy. There's love. When it comes to any gossip, anger, well, that's just, that's just the way I was made. I'm going to say it like I want to. I'm just going to say what I think. That's not godly. I'm not picking on one thing or another. Like we all need to greed you know, power. I'm going to climb my way to the top at everybody else's expense. There's so many things of our culture that has come and built an altar amongst us. And I'm, I'm just here to say, don't alter the altar. I don't want to do that in my life. I want to see God build his altar on the heart of my life. And Number three, and I got a few minutes left with you. Altars can be repaired and rebuilt. If you feel a little distant, you can just say, you know what, God, I need to give my heart, my life back to you. Maybe it's an it's a, a altar moment during worship. We had encounter week last week, encounter night. There's altar moments. I don't, I don't know, the altar sometimes has to be rebuilt. Praise rebuilds altars. Repentance rebuilds altars. Worship rebuilds altars. Surrender rebuilds altars. Uh, different priest. Ezra, the priest, when they were rebuilding the temple, the first thing they rebuilt was the altar. I'm talking about your heart now. I'm not talking about a physical altar anymore. When Elijah had to win the battle against the demonic prophets of Baal, which we're facing in this culture, what he had to do, he had to repair the altar. It says once he repaired the altar of God, the fire from heaven came down and consumed that. And he won this great victory. There might be some victories that you're trying to win, but you've got to repair some things in your heart when it comes to your theology and your thinking and what's godly and what's cultural and what's not part of who God says he wants you to be. Who's influencing you? What alters influencing you? Think about it. If King Ahaz had had a relationship with God, he could have influenced the king of Assyria. Can I tell you, you'll never influence who you fear? Here's the deal. It says that he altered the altar because he was afraid of king of Assyria. Most of us are scared of what the world will think and say, and the devil's done a great job of saying, well, they're unloving, they're judgmental, they're this, they're that. No, we're about the mercy of God. We're about the love of God but we're about the standard of God. And you can be healed, whole, set free, delivered, have a real life full of real devotion. And and I think sometimes the enemy so tricked us that we're scared of the world to say what's true. And you you will not influence a world you're scared of. You won't talk truth. You won't love people. If you're scared, you won't do it. And here's the thing about an altar. An altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place of death. It's a place where you come and you say, you know what? You can't scare me because I'm already dead. You can't do anything to me because I've already given my life. You can't you can't intimidate me. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of courage. It's a place of strength. Revelation 6 says there's an altar in heaven. You know what the foundation of that altar? And You read it. Revelation 6, the altar foundation in heaven is the martyrs' lives, the blood of the martyrs, literally the souls of the martyrs. You're going to walk through heaven one day. You're going to walk by an altar, and you're going to see Stephen who was stoned to death. You're going to see Paul who was beheaded. You're going to see Peter who was crucified upside down. You're going to see men and women who looked fear and death in the eye and said, I will not back down from this book. I will not back up. I will not trade altars. I'll give my life for who he is. We're we're in that season in the world. We're in that season as a church. I'm not trying to scare anybody. We win, but we, we don't win at the wrong altar. You can't do anything to me, Satan. You can't intimidate me out of an altar. Satan altars and airplane seats. I was going on a trip and I'm gonna pray for you. I was flying to Delaware with my wife this summer. And I'm screened pre-check, TSA. Come on, anybody TSA pre-check? I did it like three years ago because I did, I don't want to go through that line. I don't want to take my shoes off. I did it. I went, and I figured it all out did three years ago. My wife didn't do it. She didn't have anything to do with it. She did do it. Now finally, she was going on this trip and she, with my daughter. They were going somewhere and they're like, I'm going to go get screened and pre-checked. I'm like, okay. She did like three years after me. So she did it. And then we go to the airport. It's just her and I were traveling. We go to the kiosk, we get our boarding passes and we print them out. And I look down and I look at hers and she's like pre-check. And I'm like, mine's not pre-check. I was like, I, I did this three years before you is mine expired? I looked at it, it's not expired. I'm, I'm ticked off. I'm like, what pre, how's mine not pre-check? I was like, who booked my ticket? Why am I not pre-checking? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm getting ticked off. I got my backpack. I getting mean, attitudes rising up. I get a little attitude. I'm like, ah, I'm like, babe, fine. Go on. I can't believe this. I was like, go on to the, go through the thing. Fine. On your own. I'll meet up with you. I'm going to the counter. I'm getting pre-check put on my thing. So I ain't taking my shoes off up in this place. I ain't taking my shoes off at your house. I ain't taking them off at the airport so I get to the, I get to the desk and the lady's like, I'm sorry, sir. We can't figure it out. We're putting your number in. It's not expired. but It won't go on your ticket. We can't, it's not working. I'm like, Oh, I'm so mad right now. I go through the little thing. I go through the lesser line, the line you all go through. You know, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm I'm looking and I'm taking my, and I've got my stuff, my bag, taking my shoes off. And I look through the thing. My wife's there, just sipping a Starbucks, laughing at me. Pre-check. My am like, I hate you right now. I'm walking through that. I'm getting my shoes back on. Just repent. God, I'm sorry. It's so stupid. I'm sorry. I'm okay. Okay, God, I'm fine. And I look down. I'm like, where you sit? Where, what seat are you in? What seat am I in? And the only request I make about airplane seats for me when people book them for me is that I sit no further than five rows back on the plane and that I get an aisle seat. That's all, that's all I want. That's not too much to ask. I don't want to go way back. I just want to be kind of up front. I look at my wife's ticket. She's in seat 5A at the front of the plane. I look at my ticket. It says seat 26A. Look at my plane's I'm right in that last seat by the toilet. I'm so mad at God. I'm so mad at the Holy Spirit. I'm so mad at all the administrators that work at our church. I'm texting my wife going, who's the admin that booked my ticket? We have 18 admin. You're in the admin department. Come on. You're putting the pastor by the toilet. What's happening here? So ticked off. I'm I'm complaining and upset, ungodly. The Holy Spirit said, I assigned you this seat, son. And I, I began to get some tears in my eyes and made an altar at that little toilet seat. <laughs> said, God, I'm nothing. Less of me and more of you. I must decrease and you must increase. I don't care if I'm a pastor or a president. It doesn't matter who I am. I'll sit in any seat you assign me, oh God, as long as you use my life, as long as you speak to me, and as long as you get glory from my life, I don't care where you've assigned me. I let go of my pride and my ego. This is ridiculous that I did this. Repented to my wife. Probably gonna have to repent to the lady that booked my ticket now. She's out of town today, thank God. (laughs) But I, I just think there's some altars that we need to rebuild and some altars that we need to remove. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what exchange you need today. Maybe it's a, a a success. Maybe it's an ideology. Maybe it's a a hurt, a a pain. Someone injured you. Someone did you wrong. I don't know what it is. just ask you today that you'd be willing to just say, you know what, God, you can assign me to whatever seat you've assigned me to, but would you get glory from my life? Let me pray with you today. Father, thank you so much for your altar. The ultimate altar was the cross that you decided to take that seat that you didn't complain, you didn't open your mouth, you didn't accuse, you didn't annihilate your opponents. Lord, so often we wanna destroy and annihilate those that don't agree with us or see like us. I pray today that I've said some things, I pray no one feels judgment, or, but they feel the mercy of God, that Lord, you're still merciful, that we can still throw ourselves at your mercy even when we have a wrong altar, even when we've worshiped or built something that isn't you, we can throw ourselves at your mercy. So I pray right now, just for a couple seconds, maybe just under your breath right there, just in your thinking, like just if you need to lay something at the altar, just make an exchange right now, whatever it might be. Just give you a second. Thank you for your presence, Lord. And just for another second, maybe you're in this room and you've never really given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been scared to, you thought he'd make your life boring, or maybe you think you're not good enough, or maybe you just, I don't know what it is. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe you've given your life to him multiple times and it didn't, you don't feel like it worked. And so you've just said, you know what? That doesn't work for me. Can I just tell you that his mercy's here for you today? That, that he died on a cross to take your life, to take the shame and the guilt or the, the, your own strength and capability. He died to give you his life, the God kind of life. And then he rose from the dead to give you the strength to love him and serve him and walk with him all your days. The cross is an altar. It's not a place to spectate. It's a place to come and die and get the life of God. Maybe you're in this place today and you need the life of God. You know, you've tried every other kind of life. You need the life of God that comes through Jesus comes through surrendering. No one's going to embarrass you or stand you up or bring you forward. Maybe you're watching online or you're in this room right now. No one looking around. I'm just going to ask you in a second. I'm going to pray for you. If you're, if you're watching online, would you just type in fresh start right now? We want to pray for you and reach out to you. Just type in fresh start. And then if you're in this room, no one's going to embarrass you or every, every head bowed and eyes closed. But if you're in here and you say, Pastor, I need a fresh start with God. I need to be right with Jesus. I'm ready to give him my life. Would you put your hand up high and bold to me today? I need a fresh start with God this morning. I need christ in my life thank you for your boldness thank you for your honesty anybody else thank you for your courage sir thank you young lady i see that i need christ i don't need i don't need games i don't need church i need the altar of the cross of what god did i need i need the life of god i can't do this in my own strength come on church hands all across the room i'm gonna pray a simple prayer real quick a prayer of surrender no magic in my words it's just surrender to jesus father thank you for sending your son jesus Jesus, we believe that you are God. We believe you live perfect. We believe you died on a cross because of your mercy. We believe we can approach that cross. You took our shame, our guilt, our pain, and you make us courageous today. We surrender. We bend our knee to you. You are God and you are Lord. You didn't stop on that tree. You rose from the dead and you gave me your spirit. Come and live inside of me. Holy Spirit, live inside of me. Give me a brand new heart. Give me a brand new life. Give me the God kind of life. You are my God. I will serve you the rest of my days by your strength and your strength alone in Jesus' matchless name. Come on, would y'all give God some praise in this place? We got a good altar. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.